next Sunday is Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of what most of the Christian world calls Holy Week, which is the week leading up to Easter and Resurrection Sunday, remembering that entire week of Jesus' life that the Gospels have a lot to say about, actually. So next Sunday is Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And and then two weeks from today is is Resurrection Sunday. So I began to think through that, and I had this idea that I wanted to talk with you about this morning. And I know that some of you, for some of you, this will be really old hat stuff. You know most everything I'm about to say. But there's a lot of people in the room that don't. And actually, after first service, I was quite surprised at how many people uh, said that they didn't know some of the things that I explained. And they were very excited to learn these things about Jesus. So I want to start with this question that some of you may have, and I think probably a lot of you do understand these things, but... Uh, there's a question some people have is why is Easter move in the calendar? Why is it not on a certain date every year like every other holiday? Why is it sometimes in March and sometimes in April and and so on? And the reason, the answer is because Easter Sunday, we it's always on a Sunday because Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. So we have Easter on Sunday every time and Jesus was crucified on Passover, which is a Jewish holiday. So our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, we celebrate every Sunday, but our yearly commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus happens on a Sunday that is related to the Jewish celebration of Passover. But then there's a complication in that the ancient Jewish calendar does not match the modern calendar at all. As you know, the Chinese calendar and you know, there's different calendars, different people groups use in the world. Uh, the Jewish calendar is very different than ours, and so Passover moves in our year, so Easter moves in our year. So Resurrection Sunday is connected to Passover, and it was Passover that Jesus was eating the night before his crucifixion with his disciples. That was Passover. He was eating it a little early because he knew what was coming the next day. In fact, that very night it would start. Easter and the crucifixion resurrection is is based on Passover season in the Jewish calendar. Passover is the Jewish celebration, the commemoration, the remembrance of their night that they left Egypt 1,200 years before Jesus. This is the story of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, the plagues and Pharaoh and all that, and then they eventually they get the Red Sea, the Red Sea splits, and they go through the wilderness for 40 years and so on. Passover represents and commemorates the night that they left Egypt. The Bible is very specific about when they celebrate Passover. Uh, The Old Testament says they have to celebrate it on the 15th day of Nisan, or Abib is another name for the month in older translations of the Bible. The Jewish months are based on the moon phases, and it's based on the full moon. The full moon is always in the middle of the month according to the Jewish calendar. So they have these lunar months, and the 15th is in the middle of the month on the full moon night. Their, their new year, their first day of the year is Rosh Hashanah, which is falls normally in our September or October, and then they run through till the next fall. Our Western calendar, it's called the Gregorian calendar. It was made by Catholic monks in the 1500s. And they don't line up 
so the Jewish holidays move around in our calendar because they don't line up. So Nisan, the 15th day of Nisan, is, is their day for Passover on a full moon. Uh, that does not matter what day of the week it is for them. Easter is always on a Sunday because that's when Jesus was resurrected. But Nisan usually falls in March or April by our calendar. And again, it's related to the moon. It's related to the Jewish calendar. It's related to when is the 15th and, and when is Passover. So generally... Easter is a Sunday that's close to Passover. But this year, we've got Easter in two weeks, and Passover's not till the very end of April. Because they have a moon calendar, they have to add a month. Like we have to add Leap Day two weeks ago to stay on track with the seasons and the sun. To, for them to stay on track with the seasons and the sun, they have to add a, add a whole month every three years. Because that's what the moon seasons do. So... Every three years, they add an entire month that moves Passover according to our calendar. And this is one of those years. So we, again, in the Middle Ages, the Catholic priests and monks in charge of the Christian holidays decided we don't want Easter to jump around like wild with Passover. So they just decided it would be the Sunday after the full moon, after the first day of spring, if that is any simpler. So Easter is the Sunday after the first full moon, after the first day of spring, and generally that's related to Passover because Passover is also related to a full moon. So what is Passover? It's a Jewish holiday, as I said. It comes from Exodus 11 and 12, which is the story of when the Israelites left Egypt after 435 years of slavery. I hope you've read the Bible story, but if you haven't, maybe you've seen um, Prince of Egypt or the old... Charlton Heston Exodus movie. Hopefully you've stayed away from gods and kings. Do not watch that one. It's so far off from the Bible. It's ridiculous. But uh, maybe you've seen the movie. You know a little bit about the story. Way back, 400 years before this, Joseph had brought his family to Egypt, and the Israelites had stayed for 435 years. They had been enslaved by the Egyptians, and God sends Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh continues to say no, keeps hardening his heart, so God sends plague after plague. They get their water turned to blood, and they get overrun with fleas, and they get overrun with flies and frogs, and hail falls so bad it kills the cows. That's some serious hail. It's killing cows. That's uh, some serious hail. So there's all these plagues, and this is all the book of Exodus, uh, chapters 1 through 10. And then after a list of these plagues, Pharaoh continues to say no, so God's final warning to Pharaoh is, if you don't let my people go, I'm going to kill your oldest son, and I'm going to kill every oldest male in the entire land of Egypt. No matter how young or old that boy or man may be, if he is the oldest son of his mother, he will die. And it will happen to your animals too. He was going to annihilate Egypt, but he didn't want his people to die. So through Moses, God warned the children of Israel, this plague is coming and I don't want you to die in it. So the way that you will be saved from the plague is that you are going to sacrifice a lamb that will die on your behalf. And you're going to sacrifice this lamb and put its blood on your house. And when I send the angel of death to come and bring death on the land, the angel will see the blood on your house and know that death has already happened and you will not die. So Moses gets the word out to Pharaoh. He says, you have one last chance if you want to relent. Otherwise, your son will die and all Egypt will die. 
but he continued to hold out. So Moses told the Israelites that there was three things they needed to do. Number one, he said, you got to pack your bags and be ready to go at any moment. Number two, he said, you have to pick a lamb out of your flock that is perfect. No spots in it, no discoloration in its fleece, no skin disease, no bugs in its wool. You're going to bring it into your house for seven days. You're going to separate it from the other lambs and bring it into your house for seven days. And every day you need to check to make sure that there's no injury, there's no disease, there's no bruise, there's no... It has to be absolutely perfectly pure, spotless, white lamb. And Moses said... On the seventh night, you're going to have a meal, and God's going to let us go. We're going to go. So the Israelites are warned. The Egyptians are warned. Seven days from the time, Moses tells Israel, pick out your lambs and bring them into your house. So they all did that. The seven days pass, and then Moses says, today's the day. Butcher your lamb, and this is the, this is the plan. Pack your bags. So God's instruction for eating this meal that came to be known as Passover was that they were to eat standing with their backpacks on and their walking staff in their hand, symbolizing that we are ready to go at a moment's notice. God could move at any moment, and we have to go. Do not waste time getting ready after the fact. You have to be ready to go before it happens. Wink, wink. You have to be ready to go before it happens. Okay, next they would butcher the lamb in the afternoon, I guess, of the seventh day. They were to collect the blood in a bowl, and they were to take a hyssop plant, which is a relative of the mint plant. It had one stalk but lots of strands coming off the stalk. And they were to dip that plant in the bowl of blood and go outside, and on the sides and top of their front door, they were to whip the door posts and the lintel across the top of the door with the blood. It was very specific. God said, don't wipe it, whip it. Dip it in and whip the blood on the door and dip it and whip it in. So they were to put that blood on their door and then the word of God through Moses was, go in the house and do not open the door. Don't come out. No matter what you see or hear, don't come out. Stay behind that bloodline. So they butchered the lamb, they collected the blood, they put the door, or they put the blood across their door, they went inside and shut the door and they did not come out. And then they began to prepare a meal, which was the meat of the lamb they just butchered. They were to roast that and eat it. They were to have what the Bible calls unleavened bread, which means bread without any raising agent. So no yeast or soda or sourdough starter. For those of you who are cooks, you know what makes bread rise. And the point is that they don't have time to wait on the bread to rise. We're in a hurry. It's about to happen. We don't have time to wait. So they ate unleavened bread, which we would call a cracker or a tortilla or flatbread or whatever you want to call it, but bread that doesn't have, that's not risen like a roll or a loaf of bread. So they had lamb and unleavened bread, and they were to eat bitter herbs. The Bible doesn't specifically say what that was, but a plant that was really nasty. Uh, They were to eat to remind them of the bitterness of their slavery for 400 years. And so they were to eat this meal with their backpack on, their staff in their hands, standing up at the table. There was uh, some songs to sing, and there was uh, the, the lamb, of course, had already been butchered. The blood had been applied. And as they're eating this meal, Exodus is very explicit about the angel of the Lord came and killed the oldest sons of everybody in Egypt. And there was great wailing. In the movies, it depicts people screaming from house to house as they find their sons dead. And 
the Israelites are in their house closed up behind the blood and nothing happens. Not a single Israelite son dies. All of the Egyptian families have somebody die in their family. The angel of death comes and the animals and the people die. But the Israelites were passed over by the angel when he saw the blood. So this this night is called Passover because their homes were passed over. No death came to their house. No plague came because they were under the blood. Very early in the morning, even before the sun rose probably, Pharaoh calls Moses and says, get out of here. That's enough. Your God is real and I don't want anything to do with you. And then you know he changed his mind like two days later and chases them off to the Red Sea where they get trapped and... I hope you know the rest of the story. But this night where they leave Egypt is called Passover, and that was the very explicit directions God gives them, not just the menu, but the ingredients. (laughs) Not just like eat bread, but eat this kind of bread and and eat this lamb and so on. And so then when they get out into the wilderness and and they get the, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai and the law, God tells them, you will eat this Passover meal every year. On the same day, the 15th of Nisan. And so, they still do. For 3,200 years, the Jews have celebrated Passover. Now, obviously, there's lots of Jewish people that are not believers at all. They don't practice. They don't do this. But the ones who believe and who practice still celebrate Passover in a memory, a remembrance of that night 3,200 years ago when God brought them out of Egypt. Every year, they would bring a lamb in seven days, inspect it every day, look in the fleece, get, you know, make sure it didn't have burrs and bugs in its wool, and make sure it didn't have any skin diseases, didn't have a broken leg or anything like this. It had to be inspected for seven days every day to make sure it's spotlessly clean and pure. They would butcher it. They collect the blood. They put it on their doorposts, not because it was happening again, but to reenact what had happened in their past. You all with me? That wasn't... The Passover didn't happen every year. It's just they reenacted it. They would actually put the blood on their doors, and they would eat the lamb and the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs to remind them of the, what their ancestors had gone through because it's, they're all a family, and they're all related. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their forefathers, and so all of the Jewish people are related, and they celebrate this every year for 1,200 years down to Jesus, and this is the meal that Jesus was eating the night before he was crucified, in what we call the Last Supper. Right? Jesus rides his donkey into town, and he's there for uh, four or five days, and then they, he, says, he, he tells them to go and find the upper room and prepare the meal. That's the Passover meal. At the Passover was actually the next uh, day and a half later, the day after he was crucified, but he knows what's coming. So he says, his disciples, we're going to celebrate Passover early, and uh, I want it tonight. So they go and prepare the meal, and in the middle of the meal, they're eating the lamb and the bread and the bitter herbs. And the Old Testament doesn't mention wine, but the New Testament says they're drinking wine. In the middle of the meal, he stops, and this is also the night where he takes off his shirt and, and washes their feet and uses his apron to dry their feet. And there's several things that happen this night. But in some point in the middle of this meal, he says, guys, hey, this is about me, this meal is about me. Matthew 26, he says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks 
and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. When Jesus created what we call communion or the Lord's Supper, it is the Passover. What we call communion or the Lord's Supper is very different than the full feast of Passover, but it is the exact same thing. In that, Jesus says, the past Passover, and from now on, you're going to do this in remembrance of me. This is all a picture of me because Jesus is the Passover lamb. Three years before this, John the Baptist, preaching to mega crowds, had stopped in the middle of his sermon when Jesus walks over the hill and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And everybody looked at Jesus and said, Who's the Lamb? And what does he mean? But three years later, now, on this night, Jesus explains, Passover is about me. It's a picture of of what God was going to do, not just for the Jews, but for everyone in the whole world who will believe. He is the Lamb of God. He is slain for our redemption. He is the one who died so that we can escape death. It's His blood that by faith we put on our quote-unquote door right here. We put His blood on our heart and death can't touch us. Not real death. Of course, we know these bodies will quit, but real death won't touch us. So let's look, let's go backward now from Jesus back to Passover. And how was Jesus the Lamb of God? How is he the Passover Lamb? Well, beginning next Sunday, again, with the Hosanna, Hosanna, we're waving our palm branches. That's Palm Sunday next Sunday because Jesus came in on the first day of the week riding his donkey and they're putting their clothes down and praising him. For the next week, Jesus was examined in the house of God for perfection. It's so important to the early disciples, to the gospel writers, that almost half of the book of John takes place. Most of the gospel of John is Jesus being tested in the temple. The house, he's brought into the house of God and he is examined for that week. He's tested by the Pharisees. He's questioned by the Sadducees, by the Herodians, by Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. He's questioned by Pilate and by Herod, and nobody can find anything wrong with him. It set John and Luke and Mark all make a big deal out of it. No one could find any fault. Which sets up the tragedy and the hypocrisy and the betrayal of justice that he was murdered later. But also it is God saying, this is my perfect lamb. There was not a spot, there was not a blemish, there was not a fault found in him. He is pure and clean. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18 and 19 says, You were not redeemed from earthly finite things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus was tested for that those seven days before his between his entry into Jerusalem and his resurrection. There's the seven days where he was tested, where he was examined in the house of God. He's in the temple every day. And they're questioning him. And it says that, if you go back and read it, it they finally got tired of asking him questions because they couldn't trap him. And actually with his answers, he would show their foolishness (laughs) and hypocrisy. So they just shut up. This is when he was asked about the coins. You know, do we pay to God or Caesar? It's when he cleanses the temple. It's when he... Uh, There's all sorts of miracles and teachings that happen. You have to go back and read it, but a lot happens in that last week. And it is a major focus of the Gospels. Like I said, it's almost half of the book of John. It's 
uh, for the other three, it's between a fourth and a third of what they write about is that very last week that Jesus is found completely clean and spotless. And then he's the Lamb of God because he was sacrificed for our freedom from slavery. Not earthly labor slavery, but slavery to sin and the world. He's the one who died to set us free. In the story, in Exodus, Pharaoh represents the devil, Egypt represents the world, Israelite represents God's people, and the lamb that is sacrificed is Jesus. And his blood is applied, and when God has to bring judgment on the world, his people are not touched because the angel sees that death has already happened. Come on. Death has already happened here. The blood of Jesus has been applied in this soul. I don't have to touch it. This soul cannot be touched. This soul will never die again. This soul is separate from the world because there's already blood here. The whipping of the blood represents Jesus and the whips that he took on the day he was crucified. Again, God is very specific. It could not be wiped on there. It had to be whipped with this plant that was just like a whip. It's all a picture of Jesus. And we live life with our bags packed, ready, urgent to leave. It could happen at any moment. Be ready. You have to be ready before it happens. You have to be packed because it's by faith. It's not, oh, yeah, there's Jesus coming on the clouds. I guess I better get right with him. No, you've got to be ready before it happens. Have your bag packed, your staff in your hand, standing up, ready to go. I'm watching. I'm looking. God could move at any moment. We are urgent to get out of here. We look for freedom from slavery of this world and its rulers. And then the New Testament makes it very clear that what happened to the Egyptians is a picture of what is coming at the very end, that in one last final judgment, God will destroy this world and he will kill everybody that isn't under the blood of Jesus. But those who are under the blood, have we have no reason to fear. We're actually shut up in the house with our family, that's the church, with our family, and we are celebrating. Under the blood of Jesus, we are celebrating. We have no reason to be afraid of the wrath of God. That is how, when the rest of the world is dark and things are screaming and chaotic and terrifying, inside we feast on Jesus. And we're with our family, and we can know that whatever is going on outside there is God working for our deliverance. Hello. We see that our salvation is near. It is Jesus who sets us free from the world, and he protects us from the wrath of God that is coming. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 So when we take communion, or the Lord's Supper, as some people call it, it is a continual reminder, just like God's command to the Jews was to have Passover every year, in remembrance of what had happened to their ancestors on the very night of the real Passover, Jesus, while he's eating Passover, says, this is me, and I want you to do this in remembrance of me. So, as often as you do it, Jesus says, some churches do it every Sunday, other churches do it once a year. We do it once a month, but we're going to do it again today. But communion and the Lord's Supper is a celebration of Jesus as the Passover lamb. He's God's own offering to himself to pay for our sins. You hear me? Jesus is God's own offering to himself to pay for our sins. God, the Old Testament says God looked and he said, I find no perfect man. 
So I will go and be a perfect man because I do not want them to die. I love them. I want to save them. And they cannot save themselves. They cannot pay their own price. They are in slavery and they need set free. From Revelation 5. I looked and behold in the midst of the throne stood a lamb as though it had been slain. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And having redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in earth which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all of them. I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. For the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Jesus is the Lamb of God. John looks into heaven and he sees Jesus. And he doesn't see him as this blindingly bright, glowing man on a throne. He sees him as a lamb that looked like it had been killed, but yet it is alive. And that, Jesus as the slain lamb, is what all of the universe is worshiping. Jesus as the slain lamb, the offering of sin to pay for all of our hell. That's who heaven is worshiping. It's Jesus and all that he is, but he's represented as the lamb who was slain, not the glorious king in brightness and beautiful and jewels. And He's the bloody lamb that had been slaughtered on our behalf. It's his blood that he gave as the lamb of God that washes us clean. It's his blood that pays for our sins. It is his blood that by faith we apply in our hearts. We are marked with his blood, and hell cannot touch us. The wrath of God cannot come upon us. We belong to Jesus Christ. We have been ransomed from hell. Our price has been paid. And when death comes to the rest of the world, the people of God who are marked with the blood of the Lamb cannot be touched. That, Jesus as the Lamb of God, that is what Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me that I am your Passover lamb, that when destruction comes and chaos and fear and panic in the world, you are under my blood and you cannot be touched. You are safe. You are with family. I will keep you alive. I am your protector. I am the one who died so that you don't have to. Jesus is the lamb of God. Those of you who know Jesus as your Lord, you know what this is, you know what it means, you know what we're doing. We're celebrating the death of Jesus and his sacrifice as the Lamb of God to pay for our sins, his blood that washes us clean and marks us. We belong to him. If there's anybody in the room that you don't know Jesus, he's not your Lord and Savior, I invite you to make him your Lord right now. You want this salvation, you want this forgiveness, this beautiful story of God's protection and redemption and safety, you can have it. Jesus, thank you for being the sacrifice for my sin. Thank you for being the Lamb of God on my behalf that you bought us from the devil 
and for God, and that your blood marks me and that I'm safe. Neither hell nor the wrath of God may touch me. I am at peace with God and I am protected from the enemy. Let me say that again. You are at peace with God and you are protected from the enemy because the blood of Jesus is on the house of your heart. Thank you, Jesus, for being our lamb. That your flesh was torn up, your blood was spilled out so that you could mark us. That death has already come so we need not die. Thank you for taking our place. And we remember that now. 